as you consider where we're going and, and, and what we're doing as a church, I want you to understand that last week's message, this week and next week's message, and then the second and third Sunday of April's message are really critical to where we're going as a church. You say, why not the first week? The first week, April 6th, we will be having an international worker coming and speaking. Her name's uh, Crick Volstead. Uh, her name's technically Christy, but she likes to be called Crick. So, um, and I'm not joking, she really likes to be called Crick. <coughs> but these are really critical, okay? Number one, I hope to build inside of us as a church a culture where we don't ever miss. But if you do miss, you need to go online and listen to these things. Especially these five messages. Because you're going to feel so disconnected and so confused if you don't really understand these. And if you don't understand them, I want to encourage you to come and ask me questions. I might then get up and address your question from the pulpit because a lot of times I've discovered if somebody has a question, a lot of people have the same question because I didn't communicate it clearly. So I might get, I won't, I won't get up and say, well, so-and-so asked, you know, but I'll get up and say, you know, I got this question, et cetera, et cetera, and I'll go through and explain it. <clears throat> so we want you to know that. Amen? Amen? I want to talk to you today about how important I believe learning is. And I hope that you believe learning is important as well. We push our kids, or I push my kids at least. I don't know about you, maybe you don't. But I push my kids to do their best in school. If my kids are capable of an A, slopping something down and getting an A, I will tell them, not good enough. Give your best. If your best is over and above what is required, give your best. Study. Get into these things. Learn. Do your best. Some people would say I'm maybe pushing too hard. But I feel like it's important. I feel like learning is important. I feel like it's a critical step in every person's life. Maybe it's a lot of critical steps. I check on how my kids are learning by looking at some things. One of the things I tend to look at are my kids' report cards. Has anybody ever looked at their kids' report cards? You know, we check. We're looking for the progress. We're trying to see, right? And I even care about how my kids do on the PSSAs or the Keystone exams. Those are the standardized tests, right? <coughs> This is because these are all indicators of whether or not my kids are learning, right? I'm not saying they're perfect indicators, but they're all indicators of whether or not my kids are learning, amen? How about you guys? Do you relate to that? Do you care about similar things? Do you care about how your kids do in school? Raise your hand if you do, okay? Do you care about how they, how they do on the PSSAs and the Keystones and things like that? Amen. And we know that the PSSAs and the Keystones, those... Those aren't the be-all, end-all of life. I mean, there's some kids that test bad. Like, you can sit down and talk with them and just kind of hang out, and they just, you know, they got it. But they get to the test, and they're like, oh, and they're so scared, right? I, I just found one. She's laughing. <laughs> I, I'm assuming, I don't know that you do that. I'm just assuming the way you laughed. It was a knowing laugh. 
So, and I'm not saying you do bad on the scores. I'm just saying in your mind, you freak out. I used to be that guy that freaked out too. But I want to go back to the keystone uh, test example. And, and I want to ask you, have you ever really thought about how ridiculous standardized testing can actually be? Right? Standardized texting. Te- texting. Yes. Put that phone away. No. <laughs> standardized testing is kind of ridiculous in a lot of ways. You know, I've had my kids come home, and one time Lindsay came home from school. It wasn't a Keystone test. We lived in Kentucky, so they called it the CATS test there. And so Lindsay comes home from school for her CATS test. And she tells us this story about her science teacher at the public school going through after the kids have done all of this stuff and then going through and saying, now, look on you know this question... Uh, you got to consider this and basically giving the kids the answers. Right? Because the CATS test in Kentucky is actually grading the teacher, not the students. If the kids don't do well, then they assume the teachers are doing poorly. And so this teacher's going through and helping the kids to cheat, actually. Because she wants to make sure they do well enough. She wants to make sure these key concepts that they're supposed to have gotten in science are, are picked up on the test. And like the pressure of the test. You know, my kids sometimes would freak out about these tests. Especially my overachiever, Alicia. She would really sometimes, she wants to do well. Right? And she would freak out about these things. The reality is, though, we, as we think about these horror stories, there's more to it than just the horror stories of the, of the cheating to try to get by on them. You know, you've heard about the kids going into the SATs, and, I mean, that's another standardized test, and paying somebody to go in and take the SAT for them, right? It's more than just the horror stories of that. Because have you ever, here's the worst horror story. Have you ever met that kid that nailed it on the test? But when you talk to them, you're like, they're dumber than a box of rocks. <laughs> Have you ever, I, some of you don't want to admit that you met that kid. I met that kid, right? You're like, they, they have the book knowledge. They've got it. Like, they can spit out the correct answer. But it's like an answer without understanding, right? It's like they, it's like they know the answer, like they can, Throw it out there, but they don't understand what it means at all. They, they really struggle to apply knowledge in everyday life. You know, so I just heard somebody say it's, it's like they're smart, but they have no common sense, but it's worse than that. Let me give you an example of this happening, standardized testing. Now, this is not to come against quizzing. I think quizzing is a great thing. But the first quiz meet of the year, we hosted here. The kids are quizzing over Romans chapter 1 and 2. And we have in the room some of the top quizzers, Bible quizzers in the country. And I say, what does Romans chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 say? And a 
child who will remain nameless, who went to internationals last year and placed one of the top quizzers in the country, said, it's not a key verse. I replied, they're all key. This is what we're talking about. And this isn't just a lack of common sense. This is somewhere inside of us we get this idea that learning is being able to spit out these things that are important and not really understanding. And this child got that in his mind that it was to spit out these things, these these verses, and be able to do them word perfect and fast. And I mean, these kids in quizzing, in senior quizzing, A-League, you can say question one, question and they jump that fast, seriously, off of a syllable starting to form. They have to jump off of their buzzer, their buzzer goes off, and they get it right almost every time. It makes me want to know what kind of stimulants or whatever their parents are giving them. <laughs> you know, so, but anyway, I mean, it's just crazy. But it's this knowledge without understanding. And some of these kids are really... Really smart kids in other areas of their life, but there's certain areas, especially when it comes to the scriptures. And this is frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating when we have the test and the kids don't do well. But it's even more frustrating to me as a parent if the kids nail it on the test, but can't nail it in life. Can I get a witness? Amen? Anybody? I mean, it's, it's really frustrating. Some of you, some of the amens that I just got were from actual teachers. You know, that's like what they do for a living. And they're like, amen, you know. <coughs> I think this is what the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. So I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to that. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. One more time for those of you who are not well on the test. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. I think, I think the author of Hebrews here is talking about this, this issue with learning and not really, and not really learning. Like we're learning, but we're not really learning. Amen? Here's what the author says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You might be reading from a different translation. That's okay. They're all translations. Amen? About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for every, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Before we go on, I want to lay out a challenge to you over the next month. I'm going to be preaching from the same four verses every week. Some of you are like, that's three verses. It's four, 11, 12, 13, 14. It's inclusive. Okay. I want to challenge you to memorize it in your translation. To memorize it. Because I want to see if we can take this passage of Scripture 
to the level of learning that we're going to be talking about today. So I want to challenge you to memorize it, which is part of learning. Because we're going to be preaching through it, so you're going to hear it enough. Amen? So let's pray, and then we'll move on into the next slide. Father, standardized testing in a lot of ways is like scripture memorization, this challenge that I've just laid out. It's a good thing. It's a good tool. But in some areas and in some ways it falls short. So Lord, we ask you to help us to change our testing. The scriptures tell us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the face to faith to test ourselves and see if it's true so lord we understand that there needs to be testing but god help us to do this the way that you intended and it's in jesus name we pray and god's people said amen so i think the author here in hebrews chapter 5 is really frustrated Because I have been a discipler, a a teacher, trying to disciple somebody. And I've gotten frustrated. And I I think I felt what this author is talking about, you know. Like, we should be moved past this by now. Like, why are we going back? Why do we have to keep going back to these basic principles? Like, how are you not getting this? Like, why is this not clicking? I mean, this is, you have a, you have a, you know, for me, it's, it's really frustrating because you have a person who decides to embrace the first step of discipleship, which is a disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her how to be like Jesus. So you're discipling this person who, who's agreed to, to sit under your teaching, to be under your authority, to say, okay, I'm willing to learn from you. And, you're in the first, and the next principle of discipleship is that a disciple learns Jesus' words. So you're teaching them, and, and there's these moments when it appears the person's getting them, but then all of a sudden there's this regression and this frustration because I mean, these are the first two principles. If you're looking to write these five principles down, there's number one and number two. This list will continue to grow. But the, all of a sudden there's this regression and, and I start asking myself questions like this. Is this person rebelling? Did they hear something they didn't like and they're rebelling? And here's what I've come to in the conclusion most of the time. No. I don't think it's usually them rebelling. I mean, if a person has really decided to submit, they, they've said, you know what, I want to be discipled. I want to, to grow in the Lord, so teach me. So a lot of times I'm going, okay, I don't think it's them rebelling. I think what it usually is happening is that it's not the disciple, but it's the discipler who is the issue. Because we, as the discipler, the one doing the teaching, don't really understand what it means to learn Jesus' words. We don't understand what it means to learn them, to like really get them deep down in our heart. And this can make a relationship go wrong if we don't understand this because I'm getting frustrated with the follower. The leader's getting frustrated with the follower. And then the follower 
starts sensing that the leader's getting frustrated, and then the follower's like, well, I'm going to choke the leader. Right? You can, you've had a leader you wanted to choke once. I know. Probably more than once. You know, but this, so this frustration, and so then, then the follower does begin to pull back because, well, you know, you're getting frustrated with me, and now you're abusing the authority that you have in my life. I'm submitted to you, but now it's going down this abusive path, and so I'm going to pull back, and, and I'm going to take my submission away. And this thing just all of a sudden is spiraling out of control. And this eventually causes the discipleship relationship to break down. Wow, I'm getting really excited and going really fast. And I just looked over, and Bonnie's got smoke flying off her fingers. <laughs> so... So, Bonnie, do you need me to repeat any of that? Do you need me to repeat any of it? Okay. All right. So, I'm passionate about this, guys. This eventually causes the relationship to break down. But hear me. Usually, who is to blame? The leader. Not the follower. It's the teacher. Not the disciple. If you are discipling someone and you are frustrated with the progress they are not making, I want you to pay attention today. This message is for you. Or if you've ever discipled someone and they didn't seem to be progressing, pay attention, this message is for you. It's really easy as the leader to blame the follower. But the good leader blames himself first and says, what am I doing here? And so today I want to change the paradigm inside of your mind or begin to change the paradigm inside of your mind about what it means to to teach somebody, about what it means for somebody to learn. Do not get used to this. I do not put inserts in bulletins for sermon stuff. But you need to pull this out. You have a thing that looks like this. I want you to put this somewhere. I don't want you just to carry this around in your Bible. Okay? If you're just carrying this around in your Bible, it's doing you a whole lot of good. Not really. It's not doing you any good. I want you to be able to go back and review this. Anytime you sit down to get ready to do discipling, to one-on-one discipling, I want you to review this. If you wear this out, we'll get it back for you. If you get really into this and really want to learn... We can get you a copy of this book called Creative Bible Teaching. It talks about what's on this piece of paper. Not quite the way I talk about it, but still talks about it. But this is very helpful as you're learning. They use this in a lot of seminaries to teach people how to teach. Amen? So I want you to understand, though, this is is where we're going. You're going to learn what learning really is today. So pay attention if you want to be a discipler. And if you don't want to be a discipler, then to be honest with you, when we get to the fifth principle of discipleship, you're going to be challenged with whether or not you actually are even a disciple. But I won't get ahead of myself. So, what are the levels of learning? And you don't have to look at this piece of paper right now. I just gave that to you to take home. I'm going to show you, we're going to break this down, okay? The levels of learning are very critical. The first level of learning is rote learning. R-O-T-E, rote learning. And this is the ability to repeat a thought 
excuse me, to repeat something without thought of meaning. It's the ability to repeat without thought of meaning. Okay? So, let's do the ability to repeat something without thought of meaning. Okay, everybody pay attention. We're going to do an exercise together. Right? Everybody say, Vo Akie. Okay, now say it again. Again. Okay. You have now engaged in the first level of leading or leading of learning. You have repeated without thought of meaning. If you know what that means, raise your hand. I do actually know what it means. Okay. Voakie. So but we're gonna go on here and we're gonna we're gonna get this down. So this is the first level of learning, rote. Now listen to me. Rote learning is important. It is important. You have to be able to memorize stuff and remember stuff or else you're never going to get to the higher levels of learning. I'm saying all of that because some of you are going to be like, sweet, why are we talking about this level if we can just skip to the fifth level? It doesn't work if you can't remember what you're supposed to be applying. Amen? So, so this is simple memorization. No understanding of what it really means. <clears throat> now, the next level of learning is recognition. It is the ability, when we're talking about Bible learning is the ability to recognize biblical concepts. Everybody, what did I tell you to remember? Say it again. Okay, it means clear voice. It was when I was in the army, my last year in the army, I was part of the 501st Signal Battalion, which was part of the 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault, <laughs> at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. On our crest, it said Voakie, which meant clear voice. Okay. It means clear voice. Uh, what does voakie mean? Okay, this is understanding and being able to recognize the concept because if you really learn this to the level of recognition, and I don't know if you'll learn it, if you'll be able to do it next week to recognition, but today if I say voakie, now tell me what did I say first? And what's it mean? Okay, so you're able to repeat this now. You're able to recognize the concept. This is, this is the concept, clear voice. Alright? These are what I call, when it comes to spiritual things, Sunday school answers. Sunday school answers. Alright? You ready? You might want to write this down. That's what I tell everybody. If, you, if I ever say thank you for the Sunday school answer, here's what I mean. Your answer is technically correct, but not helpful. I'm going to say that again. A Sunday school answer is technically correct, yet not helpful. What does Voakie mean? Is that helpful to you? You technically know what it means, but it's not helpful. Like, this is the kid. Here's what happens with Sunday school answers. And when we think, when, when we go for this level of learning, recognition, you've heard this silly illustration on sermons before. Because you guys have been around Butch. And Butch has told this a lot. Bush will tell you a story he'll say about this kid sitting in Sunday school and the teacher's asking and describing all these things. He said, hey guys, what is light brown, four little paws, a long bushy tail, runs up and down trees and eats nuts? And Dave Grice is like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. And Butch goes, okay, Dave, what is it? And Dave goes, well, let me just tell you. 
Sounds like you're describing a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer. I mean, I know that's technically incorrect. But we get in this mindset of, you know, that's what happens when we're studying for this technical correctness. You know, we get into these things that these answers, they don't make sense. Because while they're technically correct, they're not helpful. It's like us singing that song where the lost are found and the ones who are, who are condemned, they don't feel any shame. It's technically correct, but can I tell you when I'm feeling shame, it's not helpful. It's technically it's right, but it's not helping me. And I recognize this as a biblical concept. I'm like, I know that's how I'm supposed to be. Ooh, I jumped a little bit, got really excited. No, you don't understand. A fat guy jumping's not good. <laughs> so the thing about this is these two levels of learning, these first two levels of learning, that they're facts. They're basic but insufficient. I did not say they're not necessary. I'm saying they're insufficient. As if learning only goes this far, they're insufficient. They're basic but insufficient things. We have to continue to move on in learning and, and realize that it doesn't just stop here. These two principles are foundational. We need them. They don't take learning far enough, though. It's kind of like the goal of standardized tests. You can score off the charts on the Keystone exams with this kind of learning, but have absolutely no idea what you've learned. I want to give you a very real example of this. Please do not, I, I know I like you guys to answer out loud. Do not answer out loud. You will be embarrassed if you get it wrong. So do not answer out loud. And I, and I feel like a lot of people will get it wrong. And I'm not, it's not my goal to embarrass you. Here is learning, recognizing biblical concepts, but not understanding what it really means. Is stem cell research good or bad? Don't answer. Most of you just answered in your head, bad. Because you think you understand what stem cell research is. Stem cell research is not bad. Embryonic stem cell research is another story. But stem cell research using uh, stem cells out of adult cadavers has actually produced some very good results. And as Christians, we shouldn't be opposed to stem cell research. Our issue is embryonic stem cell research where we have to kill babies to get the stem cells. There's a complete difference. This is, but you come to this place where you answer that it's bad when you don't understand fully. You can recognize that embryonic stem cell research is bad. You get the principle why. You're like, killing babies is bad. But you can't go any further with it than that. And when, then when engaged with our culture, you say something that sounds very foolish. When I, as a Christian, if I stand and I say, stem cell research is bad, I sound very foolish. But when I say embryonic stem cell research is bad, while using adult stem cells is fine, then I sound like I actually know what I'm talking about because, you know, to the last time I checked, it's been a couple years since I've checked, 
There's been nothing. No medical breakthroughs using embryonic stem cells. All of it's come from adult stem cells. Now, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've checked. But all of the breakthroughs have come from adult stem cells. I'm studying to try to understand, to see, so I can be informed, so I can know, so I can have intelligent conversations with people, so my worldview can be shaped, right? So that comes to the next level of learning, which is restatement. Restatement is the ability to express or relate concepts to a biblical system of thought. This is intellectual understanding. This is head knowledge. I get it well enough that I can explain the concept back in my own terms. What did I ask you to remember earlier? Say it again. What's it mean? Okay, now I'm going to explain it to you what it means. When you're in the signal core, you don't want your signal on your equipment to be dirty because then it... When you're trying to talk and, you know, it's not very helpful. People can't hear what's going on. You know, we saw, if you didn't see it uh, recently, there was a movie about the Navy SEAL. And part of the issue was they got up there and their signal equipment wasn't working well. And so they were out there stranded and couldn't get in communication. Okay, the clear voice for us, this is a mantra for us to say that whatever we do communications-wise, it needs to be clear and consistent communication. We need to provide these pathways for commanders to talk to the troops on the battlefield so that we don't have loss of life. I'm able to restate clear voice in my own terms. It's intellectual understanding. It becomes a part of my worldview that I need to have a clear communication path. This is good. This level of learning gives meaning in terms of worldview. This level of le- learning gives meaning in, term of, in terms of worldview. And unfortunately, this is where most discipleship stops. I've got a Christian worldview. This is like me knowing voakie, knowing that it means clear voice, and knowing what it means and be able to restate it in my own terms and my own understanding, but then sitting in my satellite communications terminal and sleeping instead of being up and doing it so that people can live. And guys did that kind of stuff. They could restate it in their own terms. They recognized it. They believed in an intellectual level that it was correct. But it stopped there at an intellectual level. They didn't see how to, how to, uh, an appropriate response to that. And that's what happens most of the time with discipleship. And this is where we as disciples, we as leaders, we as teachers, we are, we, a lot of us have been taught to aim for this. And I'm telling you today, stop aiming at this. It is the wrong target. It's like you're out trying to shoot a squirrel during deer season. It's like shooting a hen turkey when all's in season is gobblers, baby. Needs to have a beard or you can't shoot it. 
I think I'm shaving after today now that I just said that. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we got to... This is a good building block. Stop aiming at it. Maybe, maybe a better illustration is it's like going out during deer season and thinking the goal is to get a good spot where you can see some, some big nice bucks come by and be up in the tree stand but never put a rifle up to your shoulder and squeeze the trigger. It's not the goal. If you're going out in the woods with a rifle just to sit in a tree and freeze, something's wrong. You're doing it for a reason, amen? So we want a biblical worldview. We want to be able to restate this stuff. I want to be able to explain in my own terms why embryonic stem cell research is bad. Embryonic stem cell research is bad because the Bible tells me that God created me in my mother's womb. He knew me before He created me there. So it's a life. It's precious. But we cannot stop there. So the next level of learning is relation. It's the ability to relate biblical truths to life and to see an appropriate response. Let me go back to the deer hunting example. I look from my tree stand and I see I'm north of 80. I'm up here north of town. And I see, and I'm a man, an adult male. And I see, or an adult female would be fine as well, not a junior hunter. And I see a buck with two points on both sides. Can I shoot him? I can see the appropriate responses. No, I cannot shoot him. He's got two points on his left side. He's got three points on his right side. Can I shoot him? Yes, he's got to have three on one side. I can shoot him. I had to choose the area that we were in because there's other areas where you can shoot him. And if you're a junior hunter, you can shoot a spike. Okay? I can see the appropriate response. I can understand it. Why am I talking about deer hunting today? Because it's an appropriate response to this congregation. People get it. I'm using illustrations everybody gets. Why did I talk about the Keystones and the PSSAs versus the Cats? Because people get it. It's an appropriate response. I can see it. I didn't say I did it. I can see that it's an appropriate response. This level of learning that we're talking about here is relation, is the ability to relate biblical truths to life and see an appropriate response. And I think when it comes down to a lot of discipleship, a lot of us can't see the appropriate response. Nobody's taught us how to see it. We intellectually believe it. I believe the truth that somebody can go through and they can do rote learning with me and and get me to memorize the passage of Scripture. Maybe I don't have memorized word perfect, but I have the concept memorized. I can recognize the biblical concept that I'm to go into the highways and the hedges and to, to be a witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I can see, I can get that, I understand that. I can say that means everywhere I go, in the process of my going, I need to be teaching people about Jesus. I can restate it. 
And I can stand at my work at joy and realize that the appropriate response is to look at the dude who's sitting next to me at the lunch table and tell him about Jesus. When he starts telling me about what's going on in his life. And I think a lot of us are falling short there. We're not, we're not able to relate it because we've got it in our heads that I need to be able to repeat it, recognize that it's biblical, and be able to restate it back. But no. Restating it back is head knowledge. It is a necessary step. This is like heart knowledge. And heart knowledge is not the end, friends. Get that idea out of your head that heart knowledge is the end. Heart knowledge. I believe it at the core of my being so much that I can see how to apply it in my life. I really want to do it. But if all I have is heart knowledge for whatever the reason, I don't do it. Fear. Well, if I tell this guy here in the lunchroom and he goes and complains to the boss, I might lose my job. Busyness. I need to get my sandwich shoved down my throat so I can get back out on the shop floor. Right? Another type of fear. Oh, I can see that I need to do it, but what if he asks me a question I don't know the answer to? I should just take him to church and let Jerry talk to him. (laughs) That isn't even an appropriate response, right? It's not. I'm not the be-all, end-all of it all. But, you know, but for whatever the reason, it gets in my head and I can't do it. Right? I mean, this is why, this is why we have inside of our schools that we can't do anything Christian. I got news for you. Less than an hour away at Red Bank Valley, they have the largest Bible club any, in a public school anywhere in the world. Three to four hundred kids come to this thing every Tuesday morning during school. Because they not only see the appropriate response to the gospel, they figured out how to go to the next higher level and actually do it. And they haven't let fear hold them back. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to go and bust down the doors to the Oil City High School or to Cranberry and say, we're going to have a Bible club this week. We have to move through that cautiously. And they learn how to work through that so that could happen. But this is the heart knowledge. Like, I know that we need to take the gospel into the schools. I know that we need to take it here. I know we need to take it there or whatever, Right? Let me just give you, let me just hit you where you live, real quick. You need to understand something. When I hit you where you live, we're doing fine financially. It's not a plea for money. I can see that tithing is biblical. I can see the appropriate response is for me to reach out and trust God and to put my tithe in the offering plate. But I have a stack of bills here that I am afraid will not get paid, and so I do not do it. That's relation. And, I, and, and, if you, and if you're struggling with that one, I'm not picking on you. I'm using it because everybody understands it. Because if you aren't a tither that believes that it's biblical, you get it. And if you are a tither that believes it's biblical, you get it because there was a point when you was like, if you're normal. I mean, I, I'm assuming most of you are normal. Right? And I don't mean that as an insult. So, but we have to move to another level of learning. What's the next level of learning? It's realization. It's actualizing a response. It's applying truth to daily life. It's what I like to call hand knowledge. 
right? I believe it so deeply affects me, and, it, and I believe it so deeply that it affects my actions. I'm not only seeing how to apply it in my life, I'm actually doing it. So when the guy sitting next to me at the lunch table at Joy is crushed, I'm like, dude, can I pray for you? And he says, sure. And he tells me something. I say, let's do it right now. That's just for me because like, if I do it later, I'll probably forget because I'm trying to remember so many things. And I just, you know, pray, I pray with you right now. Right? I can see the, the waitress is really hurting, and she's telling me about the struggles that's going on, and I know she's not trying to manipulate me because I asked her how she was doing, and all of a sudden she just starts bawling. And I get up, and I can see the appropriate response as she's talking about these struggles and these fears that she's having, and this big, this big stack of bills, this wolf that's at the door threatening to eat her, and I leave a $20 tip on my $10 meal. That's, it's doing it. It's actually doing it. It's it coming to the point that, that we realize that, you know, we hear the stories about our kids who are wandering away from the faith. By the way, we lose them by the time they're 11. We lose them by the time they're 11. They're physically in the building, but they're mentally checked out. And instead of us, and we go, oh, we got to do something about this. And so we go and we tell Kevin Weaver, who's our children's ministry leader, ministry coordinator, or we go and tell Stacy, hey, Sign me up. I'm going to get off the bench and get in the game. I'm going to do something about this. So we quit losing our kids. I'm going to stop putting all the onus on everybody else. And I'm going to put some of it on me. I'm going to take a healthy responsibility. I'm tired of losing my young ones. Dave prayed about it this morning. We've come to the point in this where we don't get the, the realization of this with our kids so much. That we believe our kids have to go astray. That is a damnable lie. Our kids do not have to go astray. Stop believing that. Get involved. Get in the game. And I'm not saying that Christianity is a game. I'm using the game for an illustration. Get off the bench and get in the game. This type of learning has meaning in terms of life experience. These two highest levels. They're closely related to one another. I have to have heart knowledge. I've got to believe it enough that I can start seeing the appropriate response. And then the realization, the actualizing it is saying, God, I am scared to death, but I'm going to trust you and step out and believe that there's something solid underneath. You don't think that that's that big of a deal to step off of there. But Marsha English stepped off of here yesterday and broke her tibia. It's going to take, it's going to take realization for her to walk off the stage again. Because the last time I walked off that stage, I got hurt. And I'm not beating up Marsha. I mean, accidents happen. But you see, my point is that it's faith. Without which it's impossible to please God. And by the way, your faith, it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Scripture tells us he's the author and perfecter of our faith, which means you don't have faith to respond. You don't have to try to muster up faith to respond. He'll give you a little tiny piece of faith and you respond to that. And as you respond with that faith, your faith will grow. This is the goal of discipleship. 
Not just learning Jesus' words, but learning them. Do that with me. Not just learning Jesus' words, but learning them. Like getting them in, down into your heart, so that it comes out your life. I mean, we can stand in church and we can sing the song, I got the joy, joy, joy. Sing it with me. Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Tuesday. Okay. And then we walk out of here and we go over to the Pizza Hut or we go to the Villa Italia or we go up wherever and we're like, <clears throat> and you're like, God bless you. <laughs> you have intellectual understanding that I got the joy, 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 but there's no in the heart and realizing it. There's no getting up here and singing these songs about the shamed aren't condemned or the condemned aren't shamed. I mean, you know, getting up there and just singing it and then walking out of here whooped. You haven't realized it yet. And I'm not saying that you don't believe it. But we've got to go further. Learning needs to affect your actions. Or it's not really learning. That's complete. And I think as, as, as disciples, as teachers, we teach people to be able to spit out the concept to us. To restate it in their own words. We get them to get onto a biblical worldview, but we, we struggle with how to apply these things. That's why with the life group that I lead and the life group that Dave leads, we primarily focus on our sermon stuff. They're in the copier. We primarily focus on our sermon stuff and and how do I apply this to my life? Pastor, you preached a good message. I don't know what to do with it. Great. Talk about it in life group. Let me tell you how the teacher's role changes in all of this. The teacher's role that's across the top. When you are rote learning, you do a whole lot more telling. And as you move up the levels, you come across to guiding. What's the difference between telling and guiding? Telling, you know, brother, you need to repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus, right? Guiding. So as you consider the claims of Jesus, what do you think the appropriate response should be? At some point, I've told him what the appropriate response is. But as Jim moves up the level of learning... Coming to this point of realization, Jim realizes, oh, I need to, to, to repent of my sins. I need to be sorry for being the kind of guy who would have rebelled against God in the first doggone place and put my trust in him and him alone and realize this in my life and go from being a sinner to being a saint. You know why a lot of you that are born again keep raising your hand that you're a sinner? Because you know intellectually you're not. But you're not realizing it in your life. Now, if, you are, if you're not in a born-again relationship with Jesus, you're right, you are a sinner. But if you're born again, you're not a sinner, you're a saint. And I know a lot of you intellectually get that, but you don't realize it in your life. All of these levels of learning are necessary. 
When we talk about a disciple learns Jesus' words, we're not talking about being able to spit out a bunch of scriptures. And the ones that you don't think are key saying, that's not a key verse. It is saying, okay, I know how to apply this in my life. Maybe not every way that I can apply it, but I know how to apply it in some ways. And I'm going to actually take the step of faith. I want to remind you again, principle one is the disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her how to be like Jesus. But guys, principle two is that a disciple learns Jesus' words. Not simply by rote, but actually learns them well enough to apply it appropriately to life. What did I ask you? What did I teach you in the beginning? What was the phrase in another language? Voakie. What did it mean? And I told you as it meant there, clear voice, it means that I believe that, that it's important that I provide clear path of communication, electronic communication, so commanders can, can do that on the battlefield. I can see my appropriate response is to stay awake on shift while I'm in that van, and when something breaks down, to put my best into it and fix it and get it back up so that people don't die. And then actually doing it. Actually staying awake. Actually fixing it when it breaks. There were times when I was in the army and we'd be on field training exercises. Nobody's life was really in danger. That I knew the appropriate response. But I knew nobody's life was in danger, so I didn't care, so I slept. It was wrong. I wasn't realizing it. And I'm going to close with that and some, and some homework for you. Let me tell you why it's wrong. Because here's what we learned when we were in the Army. Those of you who have been in other branches of service, you know this. The way you train is the way you will do it during battle. The way you train is the way you will do it during battle. I realize that now. There was a point when I came in the when I going through the army, I came to a point where I realized that while I was still in the army. But when I was young, I didn't realize that. I couldn't even see the appropriate response. And then when I started seeing the appropriate response, I didn't want to do it because I cared more about sleeping. I cared more about that moment right then and there. But then eventually it began to sink in where I said, you know what, I care about all of these moments in the future. Some of you may have advanced in some areas all the way to level 5. Other areas, you're down in level 1. Depends on the area of discipleship. We're all over the map. Me too. It's not a beat-up session. But as a discipler, you have to start aiming at level five with people. The highest level, realization. Teaching them to do it every day. Even when they don't think it matters. I want to share a positive story about my wife. It's the last thing I want to say. When I was in the army, we were on Fort Campbell, Kentucky. My wife, we we were believers. We were getting ready to get out of the army and and start uh, Crossroads Fellowship. My wife comes out of the PX with a weed eater, a nice weed eater. 
underneath the basket. Girl forgot to ring it up. Sarah's rolling across the parking lot. She looks down. She's made it out of the store. No alarms, no nothing. She's made it out of the store. She looks down. She sees the weed eater. She goes, oh, man, I don't think I paid for that. She looks at the receipt. She goes, I didn't pay for that. She walks back in with the weed eater and says, please ring this up and let me pay for it. And the lady says, I can't believe you came back in. Why didn't you just go on? Nobody knew. Because she understood the biblical concept of not stealing. She knew the appropriate response was to go back in and she knew and she went ahead and took that response even though it was embarrassing. And she realized it. That is the aim of discipleship. Life transformation. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. But I don't want you to take my word for it. That's why we have homework. Monday, second Peter, chapter three, verses fourteen to eighteen. Tuesday, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9. Wednesday, Proverbs chapter 1, 1 to 7. Thursday, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Friday, Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Saturday, Matthew 12, 1 to 8. Matthew 12, verses 1 to 8. All of these passages speak about the need to learn the words of Scripture. Really learn them. Friday and Saturday are special. They go together. Friday and Saturday show a cause and effect relationship of not learning them to the highest level. If you want to see what it looks like when you don't learn them to the highest level... Friday and Saturday will show you how what Christianity looks like. We need to learn Jesus' words. A disciple submits to a teacher and then a disciple learns Jesus' words. Really learns them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are the God who loves us, the God who even when we mess it up still is standing there holding out the grace card. Lord, I thank you that you haven't cast me away from your presence just because I screw this up sometimes. Lord, I want to I follow you. I don't want my Christianity just to be head knowledge. I don't want it just to be heart knowledge. I want it to be hand knowledge. I want it to transform how I live. So help me get into the habit of wrestling deeply. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, the worship team is going to do our offertory song.